Welcome to Building the Oracle, a podcast about two dudes building a publishing house and film studio from the ground up with nothing more than a paperclip, rubber band, and a ticking clock we hope isn't connected to anything explosive. I'm your host, Jay Swanson. And I'm Richard Bilkey. And speaking of explosive, today's guest is the mastermind behind the rapidly expanding fantasy subreddit, Steve Drew. We talked about the rise of Reddit, the creation of the fantasy subreddit, and how to take all those lessons and apply them to building communities online around creative work. What about you, Richard? Yeah, from the corporate side of things, I was very interested in his experience working in business development. And uh, he had some great advice about what small companies can do now to become successful when they grow. Uh, I think that's really useful for us. It's fantastically useful. But before we dive into today's conversation, I want to give a quick shout out to our own wonderful community, listeners like you. Thank you so much for tuning in and giving Building the Oracle a chance. We've really enjoyed producing this season so far. And as we reach the midpoint this month, we just wanted to take a moment to thank you for coming along for the ride especially our newest super patrons, Susan French, Dixie Rose, and David Guy. Steve was our first call-in guest and was kind enough to give us a second try after some technical difficulties. You can hear the full uncut version of our conversation with Steve over on Patreon at patreon.com slash dreadgods. With that, let's get into today's conversation with our friend, Steve Drew. Welcome to Building the Oracle. I'm your host, Jay Swanson, and today I'm lucky to be joined by community building guru, Steve Drew. Hey, Steve. Hey, how you doing? Good. Steve specializes in corporate development and is currently at the helm of an energy company down in sunny Florida. He's also a fantastic father for what I've actually been able to see in person as well as on the internet and is a massive fan of fantasy and the science fiction genres. He's a huge fan, such a huge fan, in fact, that he went out and created a subreddit dedicated to fantasy over on Reddit, which has steadily grown to over 700,000 subscribers. Welcome to Building the Oracle, Steve. Thank you, Jay. Appreciate that. Yeah, it's good to have you on. Just as a quick touch point to any listeners like Richard who may not be frequent users of Reddit or who just might be terrified of Reddit in general, can you give us a quick explainer of what the heck a Reddit is? So Reddit is, uh, it's just about everything you've heard about it. If you have, <laughs> um, and most have, it's a hot misogynistic mess. It is- Fantastic. Area, that's right. It's an area where people can, can create a community of any type and be able to have discussions about it. So we have, I say we as if it's my creation, but on Reddit, there are communities that range anywhere from knitting uh, and books uh, to uh, some of the wildest things you've seen on the web. But you know, those types of open communities do attract those who aren't, um, aren't allowed elsewhere. And I think over the years, Reddit has cleaned up a bit. But in general, it follows, uh, you know, social community standards where each one has its own personality. And the more open they get, the more they are uh, personalities that either need to be tamed or, or you need to recognize what they are when you get into them. You have a fascinating relationship with Reddit because I think that most people that start a subreddit do it out of maybe boredom or, you know, just they got lost on their way to Yahoo one day and were like, oh, what's this? And then they start their own subreddit. You have a, like a completely different take on it as you came into it from basically as part of your job. Right. Yeah. So years ago, you know, I'm trying to think that's probably about 14 years ago. Uh, I was working in corporate development. So mergers and acquisitions um, and investments with a, a, a dead company called Earthlink. And at that point, Earthlink was trying to remake itself into something other than just a dial-up company with, with some ancillary search engine assets bolted onto the side of it. And uh, my job was there to basically check out companies to see whether or not it's something we could buy and then, and then grow and then potentially become the next um, future of, of the company. So one of those um, was brought to me by uh, part of a package by a group called Y Combinator out of California. They were essentially at that point, they would they would show up with all these little startups and say, what do you think of, you know, and, and, and for the life of me, I have no idea what else was there at the time. But the Y Combinator team pitched uh, Reddit at that point. And it was a very small startup uh, among all social engagement things out there. It was one of them is the best way to describe it. So Reddit at that stage was a, a, a social networking community, mostly among the tech crowd in California. I'd say it was probably, you know, big enough that um, maybe 100,000 people involved, close to 200,000 at that time within Reddit. 
So like any good due diligence process, I reached in, said, okay, I like, and I just sat there for it. And I'm like, science fiction. So typed it in, R, science fiction. And that's one of the features of Reddit is you can create your own community. That was taken. So I'm like, okay, fantasy. I like that. So popped in, created the fantasy group. I think I created a fantasy football, a recipes or food related and uh, checked out the um, AI on it. And it, it was um, it was pretty bad. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, and the funny thing is the way it was then is exactly the way Reddit is today. Just so as terrible as ever. Yeah, go huh? ahead. It is. It is. I mean, it's just, you know, it's the one that survived. Everybody said the same thing whenever they first saw Reddit, which was, oh, this is horrible. You know, how do you <laughs> interact with people in this format? But what happened at that time was I wanted to take a look at what type of community it was and, and what was the, the, the philosophy of the communities and how do you interact with people in that community? And way back then, you know, just imagine sitting around with a bunch of programmers and, uh, you know, it was just a bunch of guys meticulously correcting each other's behavior, meticulously <laughs> checking each other's facts. Uh, it was one of those, you had to be on your toes type of thing. Yeah. Condé Nast uh, at that point happened to be the one that was making a bid on it. And um, one of the things I did, it was run it up the, the ladder with the, the senior vice president I reported to. And, and we decided the answer for Earthlink was we would have killed it. You know, we would have we would have bolted on a search engine and, and had our dial up customers who were, you know, a bit older. <laughs> Go ahead and, and just run this thing into the ground. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, and secondly, we got an indication of, of where Condé Nast was, I think at that point they were, they were thinking maybe 11 million might get you Reddit, uh, but it was probably closer to 21 million. And I, I forget what the final number was for Condé Nast, but it was somewhere in that range, uh, way back when in evaluation. Well, that ended up being a good investment for them then. You know, uh, it ended up being a really bad one. Uh, <laughs> so over the years, it was a tranche investment where you, you buy a certain percentage and then you can buy more. And uh, I'm not so sure that whatever corporate stiff made that call was still with them by the time they, they started turning a profit. But it, it took years uh, of Reddit, you know, being the last uh, social media entity standing. But, uh, you know, as it grew... Those that found that attractive joined, you know, sometimes you get people that say that, you know, I, I really don't like this, this approach and, and the, the type of people that are here necessarily, but I love blank, you know, whether it's the ice cream subreddit or, or scuba subreddit, and they kind of hold on and join a community because there was nothing else like it out there. And then, you know, certain entities just collapsed around them and people would flood into Reddit, changing the, the dynamics of it. So one of the big ones was Dig, where Reddit might have been your Silicon Valley, um, semi-sneering, very intelligent, make sure that everybody's punctuation is correct kind of place. Uh, Dig was a hot mess. I have memories when I first got onto Reddit, you know, and I, I definitely was pushed away from it by that sense of that sneering sense that you get. Like you're, you're going to be heavily judged. Even today, I still feel that way when I post something on Reddit. I know that it's going to be subject to some sort of uh, digital abuse and that it took me a while to get over that. But the thing that really drew me into Reddit in the end was the fantasy subreddit. And that's really how I got into Reddit. And I was pushed by my buddy Jeff, uh, who viewers of my vlog will know is my hetero life partner, Hefe but he uh he kept pushing me for a long time he's like you gotta you gotta get on there you gotta be a part of this community they're great and they're gonna they could definitely be helpful because they might come around uh your work and i was i was so scared of the dark side of it but he really pushed me into it and you have like that you have you you deserve so much credit for this i mean that's really the question is you know how like how did you make such a fun safe space how did you carve out this wonderful corner of the internet on a website that's notorious for sneering and for being misogynistic and and dark and you know just horrifying in general well how did how did you do it steve yeah so this yeah this was so when we talk about the timeline we were, we were at when dig came on board it, it brought in a flood of um i don't know when it dig was came a, on board do you mean that they became level. a part of they became a part of reddit yeah, it did. So what happened with Dig was uh, there was a redesign, and the 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 gentleman that ran Dig at that time just went ahead and said, "I'm going to go ahead and redesign everything about it." 
I forget whether that was uh, Jay Adelson or, or Kevin Rose, but the the gentleman that ran Dig at that time ended up trying to force a, a change and redesign that allowed him to monetize the site, ah, yeah. advertising and things like that. So everybody, of course, all the pitchforks came out and all the all the torches, and they and and it literally his entire user base said, "Screw it, we're going to Reddit." And they all came within a wow. one week period. They all transitioned over and changed the dynamics. So that's insane. I, it was insane. So you know, I everybody that had a um, had a had a subreddit, you know, a group, just saw this surge. There's a tremendous surge in volume. So your 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 creaky little construct that you had from from Silicon Valley and and was semi refined with those types of personalities had the dig Mongol horde just come <laughs> roaring in <laughs> just took over everything. But it was one of those where it was a, a triggering moment because I think, you know, uh, at that point, Reddit Fantasy was sitting at maybe 3,000 members, 3,500 members, and it, it jumped enormously, and I it to like 6,000. <laughs> you know, yeah. 900 members, and I, I it was it was a funny time because you're a small community that that you've developed and and just kind of let jumble and tumble along to see what it becomes. Uh, all of a sudden, became a, a hot mess of the community. You know, where people are trying to find themselves. The patterns that were created and and the meticulousness of the time switched to just you know literally uh, a flood of. Uh, much younger, uh, much more uh, assertive and, and excited group uh, came roaring in. And it didn't matter which subreddit it was. It, it, the whole site just got this enormous group of people coming in. So it, it changed the personality uh, of Reddit into what more of what it is today. You know, the combination of a really bad design with a, a, a quirky, you know, background, meticulous background with this flood. So, you know, stepping back a bit with Reddit, the, the crazy thing is because anybody can create their own subreddit, as long as you're the first person to, to do it, you know, I've got dibs on our fantasy, uh, nobody else can create that. So what you have is each subreddit is created, designed, moderated, and run over the years according to a random creator not somebody that's necessarily good at communities. It's just the person that said, I'm first. What that means is that you'd run the bell curve of, of how good somebody might be at developing communities who just randomly wanders into Reddit and creates one. There's not many good ones, um, yeah. especially back then. And there was, you know, as you know, this is, uh, boy, you know, this is uh, maybe 13 years ago and we're in 2020. so. Uh, it was a time where the development of social networking was not necessarily a science either. So everybody everybody was in it for themselves. So with Reddit Fantasy, I had just let it jumble along as is, you know, as the one that created. I may have even uh, been at that point moving on from Earthlink to my next gig. As a matter of fact, I know I'd already moved on to another corporate development role in the energy space. Yeah, and what, so, just as a side note, how do you, because you, and I don't know, I don't mean to steal your steam or your wind or whatever the metaphor is, but so feel free to push this down the line. But I'm really curious also to hear, like, you started this out as like a research project, like this was for your job, and then you changed jobs, you moved on, you're doing other stuff, but you're still really deeply involved, and I'm really curious to know, like, what, what was it that kept you there? So I probably had uh, maybe like what you're talking about. I stuck with FARC. I stuck with others. I don't think I ever looked at FARC as an acquisition. But once you get invested in the growth of an industry like this, I wanted to make, you know, I wanted to see how things were going. And and in in this case, I kept up with uh, our fantasy because I'm I worked in corporate America. I still do. And there's not many folks in corporate America that are science fiction, fantasy, uh, nerd culture people. They're just not. Yeah. So, so for me personally, it was a, a bit of an anchor into a world that that I, I liked very much. And then secondly, you know, it was growing, and and literally, it was it was one of those where you know, what can I do with this thing? I don't own uh, the rights to it. I am the content creator for something that that. Um, you know, the, the founders of Reddit semi cashed out on. But at the same time, I've got a community that seems to be interested in very similar topics. And, and uh, there's a, a certain there's a certain attraction to that. So, you know, I guess to answer your, your next question, you know, I was sitting in a, in, in a corporate office with a, a gentleman who was I, I think he was close to 60 years old, probably 
you know, 62, 63 years old, but he was a long-term, you know, go to cons, go to book signings, uh, fellow nerd. And, uh, you know, he was talking about how he went to this lovely book signing. And I forget the author at the time, but he said that, you know, it was really well attended. It was, you know, somewhere around, you know, maybe 50, 60 people there. So I looked at him and I said, well, you know, I've got this website that I've, I've been running and uh, nobody knew read it, of course, back then. Um, and I said, you know, I got around 6,000 members of it. And he said, oh, you know, somebody, you should get an author on here. You know, that's a lot of people if you can get them together in one room. You yeah. know? And I sat there and thought about it and said, yeah, yeah, why don't I do that? You know, maybe maybe an author would find this a value. So that was the beginning of Reddit fantasy as it is today. You know, in fact, that whole concept of bringing people in, there were no AMAs at the time, but they were starting to bring famous people in, yeah. you know, to, to have a chat, you know, Silicon Valley famous folks. So those Q&As were happening within the, the uh, there was a Reddit, you know, an R, and it didn't have anything. It was just like R Reddit. And they bring him into that function. And, and as Reddit was finding itself, I thought, yeah, that's actually, let me start dovetailing these two concepts. So I reached out to, um, I think, Reddit corporate, you know, as one does, who knows how to talk things like this and got in touch with everybody there and said, you know, how do I set it up? What are your procedures? Oh, we don't have any procedures, you know? <laughs> so, so I said, okay, I'm going to go ahead and start hosting it. I'm going to host an author. Yeah. And I uh, uh, walked up to my bookshelf and I didn't have a lot of new books. It was mostly those from anywhere from my childhood to things I picked up at the airport and I went down the list and I'd be like, oh, you know, here, here's one author. I can probably, uh, I could probably go, oh, oh, he's dead. <laughs> you know, so, 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 so I went you, through. You got to have a looking. seance for that. It's exactly it. So, uh, so I went down the list and, and looked at who might have an internet presence. Uh, and the first one was Robin Hobb. And I'm like, oh, I love Robin Hobb's book. And I said, I think, I think it's a, a female writer, you know, I was right. So I Googled up who she was. Got a hold of her email, reached out, and, and we, we started communicating about, you know, hey, I've got this community. I'd like to have you come in for a Q&A because there's no AMA at that point. Yeah. And, and she was game. She said, okay, I, that'd be fantastic. I said, you have to tell me what to do, which meant the foundations of how you do an AMA. I started writing out and uh, uh, ended up, you know, sharing a lot of those foundational activities of how to how to build and construct and get in, uh, somebody who is not internet savvy in uh, and to set one up. And uh, we had to wait until she was done with her granddaughter's ballet recital. She was a little late. You know, it was just the funniest thing in the world to be able to set these things up. Uh, but it was wonderful. So she found it energizing. She found it exciting. You know, having, you know, my gosh, I have six thousand people potentially looking at this and yeah. you know, I'm looking at I'm looking at the numbers and maybe she had a, a, a subset of that but it was so energizing for her and and she was so encouraging uh, she's one of those authors that that gives back to the community I thought well who else can I bring in you know I'm looking around and I'm going through the notes on on reddit itself reddit fantasy I'm like oh these people like this Patrick Rothfuss guy a lot yeah. so <laughs> so yeah I reached out I, I got in touch with him and at this stage a lot of um, the authors were were you know they want to get on the phone be like yeah let's get on the phone I'm like okay you know so we get on the phone and talk about you know tell me what this reddit thing is yeah. and and literally uh, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. If, uh, you know, if Robin Hobb had a good one, she's lovely. We talked, you know, and then we built the next. And before you know it, there was this cascade of authors where, you know, I forget who the third was. I think the third was Sanderson. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, you know, and it was, it was like, well, I didn't know at that point it was, I didn't know the new genre writers. I know that everybody enjoyed them. You know, you're going to have to edit this I, because uh, Sanderson was the first one. Oh, was Sanderson really? your first? It was Sanderson. And you're hearing somebody that's going back into, into history at that's uh, great, 4 o'clock in the morning. No, well, that's, but, I mean. Uh, <laughs> but, the, but the trick is, is uh, Sanderson was actually a member of Reddit at that point. I think he jumped in the tech set. Of course he did because he does everything. He's on everything, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, uh, but he actually uh, still has his um, Reddit name he built right about the same time I did, it was Mistborn. Mm. Uh, and, and people recognize that he was a member of the R fantasy community early. 
And I remember having to reach out to him. Even back then, he had a guarded uh, way of, of, of getting in touch with him. Uh, but I was able to clear through. And he, he did one of the first ones. And I think it topped all of Reddit that day uh, for the volume. And, and it really helped kickstart things. But the reason I remember Robin Hobb first was, was the amount of work and effort I had to go in because Sanderson knew the mechanisms yeah, he of was savvy. social media. Yeah, yeah, he knew everything, and it was it was the easy button. Well, Sanderson was definitely his AMAs um, have been the way I've got into Reddit. I'm, yeah. I'm a Sanderson fan, and and that's you know if if I wanted to learn more, I had to go to Reddit because that's where the conversations were happening uh, with Sanderson. So, you know, that definitely you know brought me in. I'm now a member of our Fantasy, and that was that was through him through the AMAs. So very interesting to hear that. You know, I, I forget how much of a kick it was for, for the membership. We might have doubled again to, to 13,000 or something like that with Sanderson there. And it was so easy, like everything else he touches. It was uh, it was amazing. Everybody asked questions. He engaged. He was encouraging as a community builder. You know, and over the years, you know, if we bump into each other, we just sit and hang out and, and talk. As a matter of fact, with all these authors, especially in the, their early days, we're good friends. You know, and, and Robin Hobb or family were on Facebook, like at the Facebook family level. You know, she she's in there, you know, wondering how things are going, keeping in track with the kids. I've met her husband or her kids. So it's just a fascinating way of building an early community. Back to Jay's original question is, is how do you build a community from such an engagement where you're getting the volume in and, and, and you have at that point this surge of dig coming in that's a, a bit wilder on the edges and less controlled. And, and in social media, again, there was no guidelines. And what I saw happening in some social media areas is people would write a phone book, you know, and, and I'm gonna have to explain what that is for, for a generation of people that don't know what a phone book is. It was an extraordinarily big list of rules that said, when you come in and you engage with our community, we want you to do this, not do that. And, and they defined all the rules. Mm. And I saw at that stage, it, it what it did is it created an opportunity for those who wanted to harm a community or just muck with it, uh, you know, the troll community to come in and say, oh, okay, I'm going to twist the rules and I'm going to go ahead and, and uh, um, you know, slip between these two rules here and say, gotcha, and make you write more rules. And then all the conversation yeah. becomes about rules. how the rules are being broken or not. But still, I mean, well, that's one of those things too, because you, I, to get back into the community side of things, you are like one of the single most encouraging people that I've met though on the, the fantasy circuit. I mean, like for me, when I, my introduction to the fantasy subreddit and then I met you later was through the convention circuit. Right. Like I went to uh, Worldcon in Spokane and it was because I had kind of been dabbling in the our fantasy side. And then I said, oh, there are going to be some mods at the convention. They're going to have an our fantasy table. I'm going to, yeah, I'll go meet those guys. And then I go and, and it turns out to be, you know, the nicest people at there the, at go. the entire place. And, um, like you, you spend some time with some people that you'd only ever talked to a little bit on the internet. You didn't really know. And it was kind of what, what was actually really, really cool to see was how they really did know each other by usernames and by like, Oh, like you're so-and-so, Oh, you're so-and-so. And they like really had interacted online a lot before. And so that was like the door for me that opened up a lot of other opportunities where I met like Mike Underwood, who's a, uh, an upcoming guest on the podcast yeah. and a number of other people because they were the ones that were like, Hey, you know who you should meet? You should go over there. There's a guy named Mike and he, he you'll love him. And he and I became great friends and it's just because of, it's like a real meat space, our fantasy connection. That's really, really cool. So there's there's a level of genuine enthusiasm, but also just like kindness. And I don't know, there's a real sense of the potential for friendship and the, the potential for, you know, a real sense of community. So so you touched on a couple things here. Uh, the first is the, the continuity of the community was based on. So when I established the rules, I just said, look, the rules are please be kind which allowed me as the only person that ran the damn thing at yeah. the time to to be able to say yeah you're you're not here to 
participate. You're you're here to do harm, and and there's no place for that here. Yeah. And it it takes a lot of hands-on moderation. It takes a lot of 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 energy and effort to keep that rolling. And at that stage, I was working in corporate development in a in Oklahoma of all places. So I had a lot of free time, <laughs> and, and I had an extreme need to find those that that were more like me because the the odds were I didn't have many of those, which was true. But what you described was um, uh, for Worldcon. I had never been to a con before, you know. So I, I I'm you know a Gen Xer, so I'm of that age where I've got a you know. A, teenage kids and things like that, but to not to have been to a con because of whatever reason, I, I said, well, I, you know, everybody talks about this world con, I'll go to it. And then the next level was, well, you know, maybe I can get a booth there. And uh, I got a fan booth and I had a banner printed up and I had all these, you know, how to do an aim and a brochures set up and, but all these procedural things uh, as an organizer that I knew how to do in corporate America very well. Uh, had never been applied before. There had never been a Reddit out showing or of any sort or, or an external outreach into into, into real time. Right, because Redditors so, want to hide behind their computers usually. So yeah, they did, you know. And <laughs> and, and at this stage, I talked to like the social media people at uh, Reddit, you know, at the director level, and they'd be like, "Hey, can I do this?" And be like, "Yeah, sure, go ahead." You know. So um, it it was something I set up. And then reached out to those in the community saying, I'm going to go to World Builders. Who, who's going to be there? You know, and, and developed a list of, as you put it, you know, people's names who weren't really names. You know, I'm El Queso Grande on there. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, which is, you know, that's my wife's from Ecuador. So it's kind of an inside joke. But there was all of those. And I think back to your original question is how do you develop that level of thoughtfulness? You know, that one was sheer will of what is the right thing to do online and how to bring your personality into something online. So me, I'm, I'm, I'm nice. And then uh, I can vouch for that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm from Minnesota, but there's, there's also that. And the other is I'm highly organized to no surprise. I have very strong opinions. And if they're applied towards that type of activity of, of good behavior and, and subtlety associated with that, you can actually nudge and build a community that has its own momentum. Uh, and, and takes its own path. And what it does is it attracts people that want to moderate to that type of approach. And my lessons in how to treat others is, is, is me, myself, but how to treat an author, how to show somebody that creates a, a level of respect and, and get them in such a space that they can be capable and, and energized. That's that hybrid between having that vision and capabilities on my end and the access to people who are willing to teach that to me. So as I moved in, uh, you know, you think about the patterns of, of AMAs. You know, if you do a headcount uh, outside of Robin Hobb, I didn't have many women who were doing AMAs. I had all the guys I could pick out in the world. And you learn later, I had all the white guys I could choose. They just, they were coming out of the woodwork uh, because they were mostly the people that lined my bookshelves. They were mostly the people that lined the bookshelves of, of bookstores. So that was probably, it wasn't that far in. Maybe it was 2025 20, AMAs. You know what? I have no diversity. And this isn't healthy. So I started reaching out to those who weren't there. You know, uh, authors of color, authors of different uh, backgrounds and international authors and authors of different capabilities. So, for example, there were some that were independent authors that just weren't coming in. And uh, so I started bringing them in and testing the waters within Reddit to see how do I best uh, get them in and make sure that this is a good experience for them. So I created, you know, it, it, things along those lines. And then at the same time, you had to stop all the independent authors that wanted to exploit it from stopping that procedure. It was an extraordinary balancing act. Yeah. Um, but in the end, we settled into, because at that point I had such volume, I needed help, uh, procedures that would help create uh, a space for the independent writers and help encourage them. They couldn't quite do an AMA because an AMA with expectations in the overall Reddit community was you're already famous and we're going to ask you questions and you answer stuff. The Woody Harrelson hot mess. There's a lot of things in history associated with that, but it didn't encourage somebody at a level which I would consider, you know, with you, Jay, which was like, you're not already super famous. So how do we encourage somebody to come in be able to share their experiences in such a way that somebody hopefully buys your stuff. 
and at the very least encourages you to continue to do what you're doing. I know I definitely felt encouraged. So yeah, yeah. yeah. And what, the, the, what, what, yeah oh, sorry, yeah, just, just what's what strikes me there is how conscious you were about all of this. How you know you didn't leave this up to chance. It wasn't just a you know general sort of idea of how you you know you wanted to proceed. It was a very conscious set of procedures you went through that you 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 were thinking about bringing in diversity you were thinking about the procedures you were you know at all stages you, you didn't drop the ball on this at all it was you had this vision and and you know you implemented it very strongly which is very impressive and for my sake i you know i don't see many controversies on reddit fantasy i think the biggest controversy i see is when you come in are you are you a brandon sanderson fan or are you not a brandon sanderson fan and and Generally, you know, you see that most posts always tend to have something about, you know, uh, his books get mentioned and and uh, people self separate, but they do it in a very generally very um, polite way. And yeah, the spirit's yeah, definitely been imparted. Sanderson gets very embarrassed by that, and and he knows is smart enough that he knows that there's a burnout factor associated with that as well. Uh, so to a large degree, especially early on when he had more hands on activity. Uh, he would cultivate it. He would come in and start recommending other authors, you know, trying to not necessarily deflect from him and him only, but at the same time recognizing that, you know, that's not healthy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. So the reason that you see uh, communities like Reddit Fantasy and others asking the same questions over and over is because we're pulling in, I, I don't know what the volume is at this point, probably 25,000 new users every two weeks. And, and uh, what you, you know, what happens is within a month or two months, you get 100,000 new people coming in, typically of an age where they hadn't been in Reddit before, but they've kind of aged in. The discovery process is a little less at this stage. And of those readers that might be 16, 17 to 21 years old, they're looking for that next blank. And what brought them to the art fantasy community is something they pulled off a shelf and that they absolutely loved. And, and ta-da, there's Sanderson. Mm. And, and they're excited and they want to talk about it. And uh, the, the key here is that communities of, of, that are growing are not monolithic. They're constantly changing. They're constantly getting new members in. They get people that get bored and dropped out. And for the health of a community, you can just sit there and anchor yourself as in, you know, hey, we've already discussed this. But the who is we question is, is always changing. Uh, so it's, it's not a lake, it's a river. You know? <laughs> so so that's, that's why it's strange, but, but we as, as people like to think in a monolithic manner. You know, Reddit is this, Reddit fantasy is that. But the flow of new members and the growth of it, it changes. And what it does is it reaches the typical fantasy fan of a certain age who has access to the internet in an English-speaking country. You get those dynamics. And to no surprise, it's a lot of young males who, who sometimes just came off of reading Ayn Rand and think it's something worth discussing. And, and you know, eventually, if you can get them into a community like this, they can be brought into some of the sections of the community that say, hey, I know you're going to read, you know, Sanderson, you've already read, uh, you know, you read your, your Game of Thrones activity, you've, you've done all of this, let's show you something new. And we have sections in there that are, you know, LGBTQ, we have sections in there that are writers of color, international sections, women, and it's the same you know, questions over and over and over again. I don't read any women, you know, I, I don't like reading, you know, female authors. It's your typical con-going fan of a certain age and a certain background that hasn't been exposed to it. And what we have today are, are moderators and leaders uh, within Reddit fantasy that quite frankly get burned out sometimes. But what they do is they'll take that new to us and new to the genre reader and direct them towards why, you know, you might want to try blank and here's a whole, and we don't necessarily recommend a singular book unless they're asking for it, but we'll recommend a catalog of books that we've collected and put together and cultivated typically with working with and, and reaching out to authors and to do that without a heavy hand. Uh, so you're not trying to, to beat an agenda. You're just trying to say this is just a way of building a healthier, broader uh, science fiction and fantasy community. 
Yeah. Well, I was just gonna say that's good because you actually your your lake versus a river monolith that leads me. I'm gonna have another question based on that in the in the second half here because there's that's something that ties into a struggle that I think that I am currently undergoing personally. But uh, I think we're gonna toss it to the ad break here and then we'll bring it back with Richard Bilkey's delightfully scruffy face. Those of you who are listening today might have noticed that we do have sponsorship slots at the beginning and an ad break here in the middle. But the reality is that we're conserving those spaces right now for you, our listeners. Aw, isn't that sweet? Since our last conversation with the team in our last episode, we've launched a new Patreon account over at patreon.com slash dreadgods, which is there to support this podcast, but also all the other crazy things that we're going to be doing over the course of the next few years, including launching more podcasts and telling more stories and getting all those books that I've already written, edited, redone, and out back to you, our delightful listeners who we believe are probably interested in a good story. So if you're into some good stories, if you want some uncut podcast episodes like today's longer version with Steve Drew, if you want some behind the scenes and some early access and whatever else it is that we're throwing at you over there, please join us today and make the creation of this podcast and everything else that we plan on doing possible by supporting us directly through patreon.com slash dreadguts. Okay, and we're back. So listeners to the show will know that we're building an independent publishing house based on Jay's fictional universe. And Steve, you're very familiar with Jay's uh, universe already. Jay's ambitions are pretty big and we're planning to build a fairly large organisation around this, not just a publishing house, but hopefully a film studio as well. You yourself, we've touched on it before, but you've led a number of very large companies. So we really feel like you're the perfect person to give us some advice on how to build what we want to build. Um, so I've got a lot of questions for you, if you don't mind. <laughs> He does. You imagine, uh, imagine coming on a podcast and minding yeah. that they had questions, questions for you. Just, you can't see my arms crossed. <laughs> <laughs> the anger That's it. Yeah. There's no body how language. Dare, how yep. dare you? Yeah. So I guess first one, we'll, we'll go to a businessy sort of side here. Having come in before and taking sort of a central leadership role within multiple businesses yourself, I'm interested to see what are the things when, when you come into an organization and you, you're sort of taking stock of, of where that company's been and how they've grown, you must get a sense of some of the things, some of the, the, the fundamentals that are in that business that have made it work or not work. And, you know, the seeds have been planted and grown early on. You know, what advice can you give a company like us that's small now but plans to grow big? Like what are those early seeds that you think need to be planted now that can then blossom into a, a, a functional and, and healthy company down the track? Well, you really just throw it right there. How do I, how do I, yeah. So how do I build a, a, a good business uh, specifically within the, this area? Yeah. So my background is corporate development and that is typically mergers and acquisitions, fixing up businesses, things along those lines in exotic and wonderful companies and uh, in, in spaces such as chemicals. And I shifted into technology and eventually I landed in the energy space. Some of my best friends are chemical company owners, but I thought you were going to say some of your best friends are chemicals. Actually, I do have a good friend who owns a chemical company in Canada, but anyway, really, so yeah, 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 we could. Yeah. Oh, it's probably when I looked at it, if it's a small one. So that's the background. So you, I was able to see over the years the patterns of success, and and there's a whole lot of it depends in there. So one of the things I'll be asking questions about, or or you can dive into in a bit, is what are your goals are, whether it's growth through volume, whether it's profitability, whether it's uh, being able to create a, a place where others can can launch from what you're trying to build their own success platforms and things like that. So that's the bit of it depends. But when I think about what you're trying to build, probably the, the number one uh, word I would utilize is focus. You know, there, there's no question. I've looked at what Jay has done over the years and, and the brand that he's built associated with that, the website activity, everything that is being done uh, with Jay and around Jay. We're going to talk about you as if you're not here, Jay. I'll just is, walk out of the room all the time. It is extraordinarily high quality. It is at a level that is is uh, just the level of excellence in in the execution side of things. It's it's just silly. It is one where where it makes somebody like me do a double take because the rarity of that uh, within the industry. You know, the content is there, the, the creativity is there, the execution of it is incredible. The graphics, the way things are designed and, and brought forth, 
you know, catches catches my eye. You know, the presentation of, of how Jay comes across as well is just just excellent. The one word I'm going to use here is focus. <laughs> and, yeah. And the key for successful companies is is what one thing or one ish thing is being done well within that company in such a way that they can repeat. And repeat and repeat and repeat. And whether it is, you know, we go to the chemical space with your friend, whether it's they they create, um, you know, one of the businesses I had was a, a nanoparticles business. And they had one machine <laughs> that, that created uh, nano zinc oxide for the sunscreen industry and, and cosmetics. And that one item was the core of the business and one machine was built accordingly that this company was able to build it up, I don't know, it was maybe 15 million in sales for nano zinc oxide, but they were able to establish a core value that others could point to and say, yeah, that's the nano zinc company. Uh, and then off of that, the company brought in other ancillary products that customers were asking for. My observations in, in what's happening within uh, your world, Richard, and, and Jay's is that you have such incredible quality of artistic value and, and, and commercial value and things like that. But that one leading focus that allows somebody to say, yeah, this is what you're known for. You know, <laughs> just one, just one thing. And, yeah. and that anchor point that brings people in so that once they're there, they can reach out and expand. When I hear about the aspirations and dreams, I'll, you know, go for it. Because one, one of the lessons I've learned in, in especially those that are entrepreneurial is that anybody that has the corporate training like I do, we will crush your soul. <laughs> <laughs> we will take what you have as a vision and put so many no's or buts or what's your return on investment and at what point are you going to be hiring people? Don't get, a hold, don't get ahead of your cash flow. You'll kill the business. You, it, you need to do those things. But once that creative engine is going, my view is that you just encourage and run it and, and adjust uh, tap as you go to make sure that that this this, you know, what is being created isn't stopped. The key is that balance of business and making sure you don't get over your key tips, but don't stop the engine that's been created on this one. And the third one uh, it, and, and the core of that is focus. Yeah, well, I mean. It's a tricky one for us because the, I mean, the the, the core at the moment is Jay. Uh, you know, the the core of his audience at the moment has been his vlog, and and, that, and of course, what we're talking about here is is trying to lift up the, the fiction and, and the, the science fiction side of things, and, and to build a company around that, which is something that Jay's been pushing for a long time. But the, you know, where he's really taken got traction is is with his vlog around Paris, and and you know, Jay's creative energy is is the key resource for this company that we're building. So, yeah, we do need to. It's very important for us to to make sure that we're always conscious of that and that and that i think for me that's also the struggle with for those listening that may i don't know if we said this at the beginning steve has been kind enough to return and re-record this because Mm. we had some uh, technical difficulties with the first round and one of the things that he said last time that that resonates with this as well i think hits on something that i struggle with so i'm looking for uh any wisdom that you have to share philosophical or, or soul crushing or whatever you've got in you, Steve, but the idea that like, I completely agree, focus and that clarity of communication, like this is what we're here for, this is what we're doing. And you said last time that one of the things about Into the Nanton, for example, was that you had a really hard time nailing down exactly what it was so you could easily transmit that. And I think that that's, that's almost more of a solvable problem than the bigger, it's, it's in the same family, but like the bigger problem that I face, that I struggle with is that I don't have the luxury of building a business around necessarily a product that I can make money off of immediately, right? Like there's, there's not a lot of seed investing that goes into somebody's artistic development and, uh, and ability to actually feed, feed themselves and invest in a company. So I've been fortunate enough that I've been able to make a living now off of YouTube, which I love the video side of things. I love making videos and I, and I'll always make them in one way or another, hopefully in, you know, movies at some point down the line. But again, well, how do, how do we overcome this, this initial struggle of needing, you know, I, I keep coming back to this and I hope it's not an excuse, but like I have, like you were saying, I have stories, I have the energy, I have the the drive, I'm going to make stuff, but then you run into that lack of funding. And so I wish I could focus on making awesome fantasy stories and science fiction and making books and, and movies and whatever else. But like the reality is that I also have to, you know, pay the bills. And so I can't, I can't entirely focus. And then I feel like what I'm doing to pay the bills only diverts that focus further because it's like, well, Jay does Paris videos and well, he does kind of 
vlogs and he does, you know, like whatever, like then, then I'm only making the problem worse, Steve. How do I make it better? <laughs> well, you just described the worst, but I, I, I see the flip side of that, which is you're actually doing something which is incredibly rare, and that is um, making a living uh, or enough of a living as a, as a creative and, and creating. You know, so, so you wanted to learn the guitar and you ended up with a tuba. Um, you know, be, Classic story. You know, be, be the best damn tuba player out there. I make that thing rock. You know, that's what the trick is. And, and you can use where you have success as the core of, of what you're building. So people, if they show up and, and, and they're seeing your, your vlog or vlog, then really, you know, that should be ancillary where, where you're able to, if they love what they're seeing and what they're doing, how can they get more yeah. um, rather than just waiting? And maybe they're just, they're just there. They're, they're J curious, you know, and they show up and yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I'm kind of into more into blank, you know, reading. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna be able to help distribute those people to to those types of areas that you have you know books or or that next venture that you're looking to do, but to me I would I would re- highly recommend rather than seeing this as a um, as an issue uh, you, you're gonna be using that as your conduit for bringing people in and and providing them with more you know for for whatever reason they're showing up you know they're showing up uh, because of uh, the charisma clearly. They're showing up because of your your environment that you're in is is uh, new. Uh, so I'm assuming that you're getting a lot of uh, from North America, yeah. uh, and then and then how you're presenting and showing things in a new and unique way. You can usually take that and 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 just bolt on uh, something else. You know, it's uh, here's what I've done. I've taken this energy. I've taken this creativity. I've taken the spirit of, of how I'm approaching this adventure. And I have into the Naunton, you know, you know, take a look if you have a chance. So you're starting to bridge people over from the core of what you're doing to the next area. And then to be able to have uh, uh, friends and, and potential business acquaintances like Richard to be able to come in and say, yeah, you know, you're, you're the creative. Uh, I'll be the organizer. I'll take care of this. And, and what I need from you is to be able to direct those people that show up for your vlog over here where I've established a good way of showing people uh, once they arrive what's happening with what we're trying to develop now and today. And and you're going to focus on one anchor in that, whether it's the books, whether it's another, um, uh, whether it's the, the, the podcast, but you're going to create a central focus for how you're trying to bridge the different uh, activities that you have going on. Yeah. So back again, I don't see that as a distraction. It's, it's a, it's a heck of a tool and it, like how, you know, go back to our earlier discussion with Reddit. One of the questions I had with this flawed, nasty, misogynistic tool of Reddit, what do you do with it? You know, when it's at that level, do I burn it to the ground or do I make it, you know, do I take this, you know, on the musical instrument? I don't know what it is, a, a, a banjo with three broken strings. And, um, um, you know, it, it just, it was just a flawed one instrument, but you can create something with that instrument and use it as the core to, to shift into areas that you, um, might think that's where you want to go, but, but goodness, if you're, if that's where you are already and you've got a, a fantastic tuba game going on, you know, run with it, uh, uh, use that as the core of what you're doing and then start bolting on the things you'd like to do. Yeah. yeah. I think that squares pretty well with how we've well, that's what it. this podcast yeah, is. Podcast is okay. Yeah. Um, can yeah. I can I take that a, a step further then as well? Because obviously that's where we are now, and uh, looking, you know, a year or two down the track, where we we do build a publishing identity. At some point, that publishing house, you know, it will have its own identity separate from Jay as well, or at least it, you know, it will become another point of entrance for for readers who who aren't interested in Paris and aren't interested in Jay. They're just interested in the books. So, who could not be interested in me, Richard? Yeah, um, long, yeah, long pause. The, the the first thing you do is you hire somebody who's an excellent artist to create Jay the caricature, and then you don't need him anymore. You've yep. got the yeah, you've got just the download cartoon. my soul through three D through three yeah, D exactly readings. Exactly, you no longer need a visual that's I think, uh, I like think Princess Leia. I'm sure there's enough there's enough video footage of him now that we can just do a deep fake and um yep. Yep. yeah yeah that's fine yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, um but no i guess my question is uh as as a mega fan of science fiction and fantasy yourself and someone who's obviously had a lot of interaction with fans and the publishing side of things uh, i'm sure you've seen a number of independent small science fiction fantasy publishers come and go and i'm wondering what when you hear about a new publisher on the scene 
you know, what is it that excites you if you get excited about a new publisher coming up? Um, what are those sort of early signals that, that get you excited about a new, a new publisher on the scene? Yeah, and this one, we're going to... Uh, so this is one where over the years I've had my heart broken so many times. So from a publishing perspective of physical books and, and the ability to bring authors in and, and get them excited and get them signed up to your, your publishing house, I've seen that cycle um, maybe about six or seven times with, with new startups. And, you know, there's one kind of limping along of those seven uh, and six have folded up with, you know, uh, tiers and, and contracts and, and things that have not turned out well. And, and it really comes down to, I think, a handful of things in, in this area. You know, the first, and I'm talking physical book publishing versus something that is, is uh, an internet-based activity, whether it's going to be a blog, vlog, or whatever it may be. That's not, I'm talking about people that print books and, and try to distribute them. What I've seen over the years are typically those that get involved are more the creative side and they're trying to shift themselves into publishing and they don't quite have the business acumen to understand how everything works and what they'll end up doing. It's kind of like the, the Amway way of doing things. They end up uh, trying to sell to their friends and, and relatives and those that are in the publishing industry, this concept of them building a, a, a new a book publishing group. And the key non-success factor in this has been uh, not thinking things all the way through. You've got your different steps, the costs associated with it, the amount of time associated with it. And it's pretty easy to put together a contract that says, this is what we will do. This is what we will pay you. Um, you can go out on science fiction, you know, fantasy writers of America and, and download any contracts that are, are going to be fair. So that's easy enough, but it's actually getting to that down to the point of, of creating the physical book and, and even before distribution, not running out of money uh, yeah. <laughs> associated with that, because your first couple tries at this are going to end up being, you know, that's it. You got all of your time and all of your capital in, in one or two books or one or two uh, people. You know, the business side of it says you better be capitalized enough that you can get through some of the pitfalls that happen along the way, whether it's uh, you're, you're getting the, you know, you're getting your, the book layout isn't quite right. And the, I forgot about the cost of an editor and, and all of those types of things uh, where I've seen that probably the greatest failures is in that procedure and that process where they eventually get a book out there. So you guys know these stories, the Kickstarters, yeah. you know, where, where the intent's there, but they somehow don't realize just how difficult it is. Yeah. Then you get to the, you know, it's like nightshade books. They, they, their distribution model, they're the ones that, that have probably held on the longest of those that launched. And they had full capitalization. They had uh, editors and, and people from the industry and of the industry working hard. And, and their distribution was, you know, at the cons and con level. But the, the big publishers and the, and the big bookstore chains basically blocked them out uh, for years. Um, and I, I don't know how they're doing because, you know, like our, our mutual friend, Mike has left that, uh, and, and others that I knew in that startup publishing have all left and either gone into big publishing where they can actually get a, a, a good paycheck, uh, or gone off to write or, or done other things. And that's not a, a symptom of a healthy publisher. Yeah. Now, where I've seen it done very, very well are the niche publishers, those that find something where they're they're getting out of the print books, but they're doing very high end three volume bound copies um, and and have created something for themselves that is uh, adding value for the super fan. So, yeah. um, you know, those types of ones are the ones that seem to be very sustainable. So what I would think through in, in your case is, is when you say publishing house, try to think about whether it's going to be a me too of the big ones. And that's probably a road to uh, financial ruin because <laughs> it's, it's uh, you know, you can't go head to head with these guys, no. but there are, there are cracks in the system where things are not being, fans are not being served right. And the key here is to figure out where those cracks are and, you know, you're, you're going to come up with your own creative approach on this. But I think once you start anchoring what's been successful for the group and, and Jay's brand, we talk about him as a brand, like you're a toothpaste. Yeah, uh, well, the, you know, um, I've got a nice smile. I know, that's it. 
Uh, I think the key would be to leverage what you got from the core of that. And if it is an online visual presence type of thing, you know, what is what does that make? What type of publishing house would be would be anchored around that? And I'm not going to run down that road because I haven't even thought about it. But yeah. the, the the basis there is to find those unique things. That's not a me too for a regular publisher. Uh, if you're going to go, you know, cut them off at the knees at some point and do their own game better, you should be anchored in in some level of profitability and, and sustainability somewhere else before you come after them. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. Well, no, that's great. I, that's we, I mean, the goal isn't we're yeah we're not looking to cut anybody off at the knees. I think that the trick is exactly what you're talking about: trying to serve fans in a way that they're currently underserved, and giving them a higher end uh, experience. And Richard and I, we've been talking about this because we're we're looking at relaunching, like re- actually editing. Because I never edited into the Nintendo. It was just a, <laughs> it was a it was a wildly published first draft. Um, but the you know go, I've got a couple of copies. As a matter of fact, I. I know. Yeah, there it is. If I had a visual, let me reach up to a shelf. And, <laughs> and let, uh, let me just there let, you go. I've got it right here. Let me just defend Jay here because a defender offend. A defend. I'm gonna defend <laughs> Jay here because Into the Nanton was written as a as a online blog. So when he says it was published as a first draft, it was published in real time. So he yeah, was he was right. writing and publishing, you know, every day putting putting it up there. So, you know, that was the format he was he was doing it in. And then of course at the end of that he packaged it up as a book. So obviously what we're going to try and do is we're, we're pulling it down and, and, and republishing it and we're thinking about, you know, doing, doing it, it fully digital. Dis- yeah, yeah we, we, we are thinking about doing it fully digital. and Because um, it's so expensive. Do, printing colored illustration. There was no margin on those books. I was selling for 30 bucks and maybe making 20 cents. You're right. I mean, you're right. But the, the quality of this is extraordinary. You can, you know, if you can picture me turning this in my hands, illustrated by oh. Nimit Malavia. Malavia, yeah. Uh, yeah. Malavia. I mean, gorgeous. This is, oh, to did... me, that was a showstopper. Um, and but the... you're right. You put you put everything in there and forgot about the, the making money part. Yeah. And <laughs> well, that's I mean, the... I bet I, I don't care about making money. I just want to share the stories. <laughs> Jeez. This is oh, why I can't that's, be in charge of my I'm own. Here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's why I'm here, and uh, you know, it's too good. This, you know, this whole Into the Nantan series is too good not to not to be repackaged and put out there again in a, um, you know, in a way that that can then reach, you know, can reach a bigger audience. And so, you know, that's that's our big focus this year is to is to redo that. But you really hit it on the head too, Steve, because that is the for me right now. It's like I I'm not I'm not married to paper. Like I as much fun as it is to have um, paper books, and as much as I love them myself, I love the smell and the feel of them and everything. Like you know, like what we need to do is exactly, this is what we've been discussing is how do we anchor ourselves and provide these experiences and everything to an audience at a, at a really high margin where we can actually recoup a lot and actually make some money that we can then reinvest in bigger, better projects rather than putting everything we have into making a very beautiful, wonderful paper book that bankrupts us um the paper the the distribution the distribution channel for for paper books is insane and closely guarded and a lot of gatekeepers and um and we're not going to get in there anytime soon and i I think for me that that's the i mean if we can partner with a traditional publisher for a couple projects that that's definitely an open an open door and if there's a lot of different ways we can approach this and for me it's just how do we how do we actually bring this massive story filled with, you know, dozens of books, dozens and hundreds or thousands of characters? How can we bring it to, I've got, had Richard just like had a mild aneurysm when I said that, but how do we bring this, you know, experience to the world in a way that's consumable and enjoyable and builds up, you know, real momentum. And I, Steve, exactly what you're saying, like the easiest way to kill it all quickly is just to make it financially uh, impossible and and not viable and that's that's what we're that's what definitely one of the biggest challenges well yeah or you bring yourself out you know and, also and possible yeah you, know, you just you don't want to do that but i mean if you're your um your vlog's doing well uh you know possibly um read the book uh in the vlog uh you know you you go find a setting that matches the the portion of the the story that you're at and and cover it at that setting yeah. and see if that works but i mean you know what is it it doesn't cost you much to do such a thing and you don't override what you're going to do with your vlog. You'd have to be an and thing. Um, and maybe you can create that type of production and atmosphere that, uh, you might be able to duplicate with, uh, with others, you know, the, but the challenge of floating such a concept, I'm riffing, uh, is, is that, uh, somebody else can just go do it. Yep. And, and what have, what have you done to create, um, more, 
value um, and how do you do this in such a format that somebody comes to you and says, you know, hey, I've got a book too. I'd like you to do what you did with uh, Into the Nanton. Um, but, you know, there, maybe there's a possibility uh, of, of creating something that is, is anchored into what success you've had already. And that seems to be a combination of the audio and visual. Um, We're well, also considering a newsletter, a yeah. newsletter distribution for the story. Um, yeah. But, we have some ideas. Yeah. We're kicking um, it around. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it certainly sounds like, you know, we're going to have to innovate if we're not going to go the traditional route. It's, it, it's going to be innovation based. Um, we, we're going to come up with different, play with different medias. Uh, and, and it, the, his stories lend that anyway. Um, you know, Into the Anthem was written as a journal. So there are ways you can play with a journal Agreed. idea um, and look out there and say, oh, how are journals read in the real world now? And, and, and play with that and play with uh, the way it's not just um, audio or visual and, also the the temporal aspect of it and things like that so yeah there's lots of fun things we can nice. do and, and to innovate um yeah i think look i think we've we've gone way 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 over time that's this, great though this yeah, has been fantastic. fantastic yeah well steve thank you so much for coming on today we really appreciate you taking the time to make a second tour with us and yeah, we love, really appreciate i mean the, it's just love having a conversation with you to, uh, anytime i can so this is great yeah and that and yeah, the, it, that thoughtful the thoughtful advice and the experience behind that is is extremely valuable so thank you yeah, this is my first podcast, so this is fantastic for me. I can't, I cannot believe that you have not been pulled onto more podcasts, and I'm happy to be the one to to be your first. Yeah, well, you know <laughs> the routine; you keep your head down when you uh, I, run. Uh, you, yeah, I do. I was, yeah. <laughs> well, we'll try not to. We'll try not to pull the veil too far back to reveal the man uh, behind the curtain. It's but okay. it's it's all out there now. But uh, at this stage of the game, we're we're all out in the open, so it's just fine. Very dark and very true. Well, thanks again, Steve. We're really glad to have you on. Gentlemen, thank you. Well, that was a great conversation as usual, but Steve was delightful. And thanks again to Steve for giving us a second chance on that after the technical difficulties. Thanks, Steve. Really yes. good to talk to him. And we covered some ground that we hadn't before, which is kind of exciting. Richard, what did, what were your takeaways from the conversation? So much going on in there, but I guess... Uh, yeah, look, I was I was really struck with the the consciousness of the vision that that Steve had for that for the building the Red, the, the fantasy community on Reddit. Um, right from the start, he had an idea of how he wanted that community to be run and and how he wanted that community to grow. And his focus on making that happen was really impressive. Um, we he talked a lot, not just about the idea of please be kind as being a, a central idea, a simple idea to to build around. He didn't want to build a, a huge list of of rules and become litigious about it. Just that simple idea of please be kind, and then building on that process is to help people to engage. So starting with the the, the story about Robin Hobb and, and helping her to, uh, giving her processes to to interact with the community, that actually allowed her to focus on that engagement with the community rather than focusing on what she's doing. And and that extended to when he, when he brought on moderators to help with the growing community, he had processes for them as well. And that having those processes, thinking about that and, and, and making those processes easy and accessible to everyone allows people to just focus on the engagement within that community, focus on the discussions. Um, and I think that's really important and saying I hadn't really thought about before. Um, so that was really interesting to me. Yeah, yeah, that was really good. I think that uh, one of the things that I took away from it in uh, talking about focusing on our strengths and focusing on the things that, that make us the, the best that we are, wherever it is that we are, and building from that was that we need to, well, for one, make sure to spend more time getting back personally, but also as a team to the YouTube side of things like I, that is where uh, I've gained uh, the bigger following. That's also where all the bills are getting paid right now. Hint, hint, patreon.com slash dread gods. <laughs> and um, there's that level of, you know, uh, remind reminder that like, I'm really lucky to have what I do have. And it's something that's been a, a thread in my vlog recently, but it's also, uh, I really enjoy the city of Paris and I really enjoy getting out and sharing it and needing to lean harder into that for at least the time being, if not for the long haul, uh, because that's going to enable us to do a lot of really cool and, and better things than if I just kind of abandon that and we go hardcore back into the fantasy side explicitly. And one of the things that also both for YouTube and for our future publishing efforts is to focus on uh, the strength that is the, the digital deliverables, the ability to avoid going back to paper, um, not because we don't want to create paper books, but because the margins are so thin. And where we're at, we can't we can't go like head to head and compete uh, with any other publishers out there, which isn't really our intent. Anyways, the goal is to get the stories out there and to to get people invested and involved. And, and so in order to do that the most effectively, 
while also being able to pay the bills like we were talking about and keep the margins and overhead, the overhead low and the margins big, you know, really is to focus on finding fun and creative new ways to get that content out to people, whether that's audio or visual or, you know, through whatever means that we have available. That was really timely for us as well, I think. I think hearing that, I think we, we instinctively maybe knew that, but but the way Steve put it, um, the way, you know, he said, look, don't try and mimic the big publishers. Um, that's not our strength. And, and you know, the way he pointed out that a lot of the publishers that have succeeded, the, the new ones that have succeeded have done through a niche. Yeah. Sort of thing. They haven't tried to come out and, and be the next big publisher in the same format, um, in the same style as, as those that are already, you know, the big global companies. So, yeah, I thought that was really important. And, and it just changed the way I think I looked at it. I, I, it, it reconfirmed that I think we're doing the right thing. Um, yeah. by focusing on the podcast and, and doing that. And uh, yeah, but, but validating that and, and con- reconfirming that our focus should be on, on the vlog and on, and on those audio visual mediums um, where, we have a, where we have your strength as a, as a vlogger and as a you know, storyteller in that form is, is really, really good. Yeah, well, something definitely to, to lean back into. And I mean, it's like even with the, the guides and wanting to release some new smaller guides, Kate really wanted to do something printed. And I understand that, like she really wanted some, to hold on to something. And I appreciate that because it, it can be a lot of fun, but it also adds so many logistical challenges and reduces the amount that you can make off of it. And then also, yeah, produces like you all of a sudden you have these booklets lying around that are steadily running yep. out of date and sitting in where to be sold to whom. And so I think it's a lot of, uh, not that we can't do that, but I think we should do that in the future when we have like a real demand for it. And yep. right now we, we just need to be doing what we can to, to build Absolutely. and develop that. And there was something I, I know you mentioned. Uh, it was on the first episode we had with uh, with Steve that unfortunately uh, got lost in the ether. But and we didn't get around to it today. But it was about clarifying the message a little bit. Yeah. Um, and he told a story of how he loved when he first read your Into the Mountain books. He loved the the books in, intensely. But when he tried to tell other people about the books, he had trouble explaining what they were uh, a little bit. He had he had trouble defining them. And he sort of pushed back to you and said, you know. We need to do a better job of defining it so that yep. the people who pick them up and and, uh, and talk about them have some have have a hook, have that hook, and and that clarifying that message is, is really important as well. Really important, and probably the kryptonite of every writer out there. To <laughs> but he's totally he's he's completely right, and I think that uh, it's something we definitely need to work on. And we actually talk about in our next episode with Mike Underwood mm. uh, a little bit about how they did that over at Angry Robot and some of the ways that he does that. And so that'll be really good to dive into and and to reflect on as we get closer to reproducing and putting into the Nanton out uh, in its new form in yeah the and that's and that's going to be one of my takeaways or, or things to you know uh, things to, to look at for ongoing here one of my my tasks for the future here is is to look at that and to uh, let's start with into the Nanton and 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 try and figure out ways to define it whether it's just writing writing a hook and a blurb and and you know the long description and and really nail those down uh, i think that's something we should we should start doing at this point yep definitely yeah. something to think about Today's podcast was made possible by our gregarious patrons whose contributions directly impact our work here as well as the future of our collective projects. They are the best, and so far all of them are super patrons, patrons both of me and the Dread Gods separately. They are Susan French, Dixie Rose, Karen Bates, David Guy, Kevin, and Mystery Man. Building the Oracle is mixed and produced by Zach Egan, co-hosted by Richard Bilkey, mascotted proudly by his four-legged friend Gustav, and is written and hosted by yours truly. Our theme music is Glory, and our ad music is Light, both by David Cutter, who you can also find and support directly on Patreon. And our newsletter is assembled with love by our own Kate Weber. Don't forget you can support us at patreon.com slash dreadgods whenever that itch grows too strong to resist. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review Building the Oracle on iTunes or wherever it is you listen to your podcasts. Or Gustav will cancel your Netflix subscription. No more Paw Patrol for my kids. No more. My name is Jay Swanson, and thank you again for listening. Tune back in in two weeks for our next guest, author and publishing guru, Mike Underwood. Until then, keep making rad shit. <laughs>